0: Welcome to the Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. I'm Whitney Wiley. And I'm Greer
1: McVeigh. Hi, Whitney. Hello, Greer. How are you? I am well, I, you know what, you know what I did yesterday? I do not know what you did. I, well, I did last night. I went out with some girlfriends. I went out with some girlfriends. Okay. And we went to, we did three things. We went to an art show, then we went to dinner and then we went, well, to a bar, (laughs) but, and we, it was like it was the first time in over a year that i was inside without a mask okay it was the most daunting <laughs> it was so it was daunting cuz i was like i well all three of us me me and my two girlfriends are fully vaccinated okay so, you know, and so now the, you know, the CDC and the president have, you know, put out that if you're fully vaccinated, you can be outside. Um, and then you can sort of be inside, but you still want, I think, well, I don't know if you're supposed to wear a mask if you're inside, but you're still supposed to social distance and all of that. And we just found ourselves out and we were like, oh my gosh, this is like so normal. the normality of it felt so unnormal (laughs) it was like oh my god are we uh, you know we gotta get in trouble are we gonna get you know arrested is somebody gonna you know but i walk around i have my vaccination card and my wallet and i'm like do you wear it around
0: your neck did you laminate
1: you know around your neck somebody said that um i think is an office depot that's laminating your yeah, I sent that for to you something like that. A, a copy,
0: not your actual vaccination. You do not want to laminate your actual vaccination oh. card, but you can make a copy and have that laminated.
1: Okay, okay. So I, I think I'm going to do that today, and wear it. I also went on uh a, a few days ago and met a girlfriend for tea in the morning, and we were at a coffee shop. We sat outside. And she went inside to grab, or she was waiting for her tea or whatever. And I went outside to grab a table and I sat next to this lady and I didn't, I didn't, I took my mask off because I sat down. And the lady sort of went and grabbed her, um, her, uh, her mask because she didn't have hers on. I was like, well, you know, I'm good. I'm vaccinated. I don't care, which I probably should because I think there's still some possibility that you could transmit it. But so she goes to put her mask on. And I said, oh, I'm, um, I'm fully vaccinated. She says, oh, well, so am I. So then she puts her mask back down. And then I was like, I wonder if she believes me. I said, you know, I, and I have my vaccine card. I'm happy to show you. Like, I'll show you my papers. And she's like, no, I don't need to see it. So, it, it, but it was it's interesting because, and, and as we were talking about today's episode and, and the guests we were going to have, some of the... The biases are some of the, you know, does everybody get to be vaccinated? Does everybody have access to the vaccine? You know, uh, what does it say about, what do you see when you see someone? You know, and truth be told, you know, she was an older white lady. I'm, you know, a young ingenue. (laughs) I'm a young black woman. And I'm like, you know, does she believe me when I say that I'm vaccinated? You know, so there was was this whole, dialogue going on in my own head, right? Which you're not supposed to have a dialogue with one. (laughs) That would be a mom. You can't (laughs) can't really
0: have a dialogue with one. But it's
1: interesting, (laughs) it's interesting
0: that you say that. And it does tie in with our topic today and our guests because you're experiencing and living that yourself, right? This sort of what is the bias that's going on around the, vac- the, the virus and the vaccine and whether or not you have been and what people are thinking about people who are getting vaccinated and people who are vaccinated thinking about people who aren't vaccinated yep. and whether or not to carry around with you, you know- Your a, papers. Your papers, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this and whole it, thing. And with- yeah, and
1: it's like, what do you Because, th- Because frankly, at this point, and I and I shouldn't, and 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 hopefully, um, say you will will <laughs> absolve me of this. But I, you know, it's like, you know, what if you don't have a vaccine, if you or if if you haven't gotten a vaccine or if you don't want it, I won't say haven't gotten because everybody hasn't had the opportunity. But if you're resistant to it, and not just be- not because you're an anti vaxxer that's a different you know, people that don't have any of the vaccines. But if you've gotten all the vaccines up until now, but all of a sudden now you're making some sort of political statement, I have some feelings about you,
0: Okay. right? Yeah, so with, and I yes, probably should but I, to, I do. And going to have to work with you on that. And I know she's got a framework <laughs> that hopefully will help. Okay. Because I want to say this, and then let's introduce her. That you are not necessarily... It, depending on your age, you are not necessarily in control of every vaccine you've had up until now, right? Your parents right. were responsible for that. And so having, it, being at the age of majority where you get to make a decision about your body moving forward, which is one of those things right where we want to talk about having control of our bodies and in one context, and this is on both sides of the spectrum, and then not allowing people to have control of their bodies in another context. Right. And, yeah. and so, anyway, enough of that. Let's introduce Sagil Thacker. She is the <laughs> chief civility officer with Train Extra. And um, she's got a very interesting story. And I think you will find a career that she has crafted for herself that is unlike the careers most people have. Right. I don't, I don't, she's the only person I know. Who does what she does the way that she does it, and I am a big believer in doing work that you love, figuring out your purpose, and moving forward with that. And that's exactly what Sejal has done. So, Sejal, welcome to Life Lemons and Lemon Drops. How are you today?
2: Good. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's a it's, pleasure to be here with both of you. It's
0: my pleasure. Our Good pleasure. Well, let Greer speak for herself. It's my pleasure, certainly.
1: <laughs> it is our pleasure. I'm <laughs> certainly happy, happy to have you here.
0: <laughs> so, um, I mentioned you are the Chief Civility Officer. Before we get into sort of your story, what exactly is that and what is it that you do?
2: Yeah. So, I, you know, I started my own business 3 years ago and I gave myself that title Chief Civility Officer because I've been a attorney, a licensed attorney in California since about 2003. And the area that I focused in on was employment law and I saw a lot of incivility in the workplace. And so, my goal for starting my company was to really take on the education, the training function to help empower both employees and employers on how to create workplaces of civility. So I call myself the chief civility officer because I want organizations to proactively bring me in and let's properly give your employees the skills that they need or to create psychological safety at your company so that we don't have to end up in court. Because by the time you end up in court, it's just way too late to help anybody. Right. So we want to be proactive about it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and we have that in common, uh, being attorneys. And so I certainly understand that whole concept of incivility, not just in the workplace, but, you know, at least a perceived incivility amongst lawyers. I was in the political space. Greer is very interested in Politics. there's a lot of incivility in that, and a lot of incivility right now in our country. And so I know that a lot of that stems from this topic of bias and um, the work that you're doing. So y- you've got an experience um, that you share in your TED Talk. Um, you were a TED Talk, um, what was the name of the particular
2: Crew, Yeah, so I did a TEDx talk for Case Western Reserve University. And the name of the talk is the pain paradox and power of bias and that just came out it's just been a week, I mean a month since it's been out so it's really exciting. <clears throat> because I get to really talk about my own personal experience like you said that I've gone through my parents moved from India. To Chicago. So here's a little fun fact: I was actually conceived in India. So I was in my mom's belly when we moved to Chicago, and I was born here. So when we talk about marginal, I am like my definite my picture should be next to the word marginal in the dictionary because I'm as marginal as it gets between the two cultures. Um, so we we moved to a town, a suburb of Chicago called Elmwood Park, and it's predominantly Italian. We were the only Indian family there, and so. You know, I dealt with kind of several things all going on at the same time. But some of the stuff that impacts the work that I'm doing now is, you know, I dealt with harassment, discrimination, bullying. Um, I was othered at a very young age since we were the only Indian family in this town. So we were different, you know, from everybody else. So I dealt with all of those things as I was growing up and it impacted me significantly, you know, to be you know, things like I talk about in my TEDx talk, you know, there was a situation where I found a note on my locker that said, go back to your country, you know, and again, I was born here. So that just those kinds of incidents, that was just, you know, that was one example, but I dealt with these incidents all the time, almost on a daily basis, you know, the microaggressions were happening all the time. And so, uh, and there wasn't really, you know, a lot of support back then, Right. Because as parents who are immigrants, you know, they like most immigrants barely spoke English. They started working right away to provide for their family. You know, like like most immigrants, they come to this country for a better future for their children. So they were out working all the time. And and there wasn't anybody at school that you can really talk to people. You think that they're going to be your allies. You know, they really didn't. You know, it's much easier to say you're going to be an ally than actually do it. Right. So. So, you know, my dad was really the one person that was there for me through these situations. I was really close to my father and a lot of conversations with him about just feeling like helpless and not being able to control the situation, not being able to change the situation. Why is this happening? You know, always asking tons of questions, trying to figure out like what was going on. And he gave me a lot of good advice, you know, and that really sort of helped me come up with just a different view of how to look at the situation. Cause oftentimes when we're dealing with it ourselves, it's hard to see the big picture or see other perspectives, especially those that are opposite than us, you know, and as a kid going through it, I was filled with a lot of anger and I was fighting back, you know, and, and um, you know, I was going down a path that probably wasn't going to end up in a really good place. Had I not stop myself and seen that this is this is a this is a road to like me ending up in jail someday if i keep going this way right so um but yeah so in the talk you know i i share the lessons that i learned from him and how those have really helped me in my life and then i talk about sort of the paradox of bias is you know that's that part of the story is about sort of my personal story of what i went through And then I talk about the paradox of bias because you know one of the lessons my dad taught me is that bias isn't one-dimensional you know a lot of times when people are treating others badly they themselves are hurting you know in the house or or that you know we're all at some level capable of hurting other people and being biased towards other and and a lot of this really stemmed from you know um you know what we saw going on last year you know the racial civil rights movement COVID bringing out the Asian hate and all of this stuff that really got out, brought out this bias in a whole different way. And what I started seeing in my work that I was doing, I'm like, wow, we need to change the perspective on bias because everybody has it. We're hardwired this way and we're really not able to get to inclusion until we understand what bias is. So right, right. Showing people that different perspective and, and then giving people tools and strategies on once you understand what bias is and you understand that it's normal and you start to do the work to understand what your own bias is, then here are some strategies that can help you. Right. So that's kind of what my talk's all about.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you say that one because I I absolutely agree with you. This we tend to with bias, and, and I'm, I'm going to touch just briefly as an example, but not looking to have a conversation around this at all, um, sort of religion and sin, right? We are very often able to see what other people are doing, what they're doing wrong, how their bias, how they are sinning, and we don't tend to see that in ourselves. And so what have you found is sort of the reason for that?
2: Yeah, and I think it's just the word. The word bias has become like this vilified, like demonized word mm. in itself. And I think that's the problem. I think people don't understand what bias is. I think they, a lot of people think of bias as prejudice or something negative. And bias is just how our brain works, You're results of, all of this information that's coming at us and so our brain automatically dumps it all into this bucket and i and i talk about this as well that you know we process close to 11 million pieces of information every single second of our day and then only 50 of that is consciously processed so when you think about we are on autopilot basically you know and so when now when you you've got all this information being filed away. It's like a computer system, right? It's like, and, and some of that information is accurate, but some of it's not. Some of it's emotions your perceptions, you know, and and and, and just misunderstandings and, and things that you've seen on the media. Like it, our bias comes from a lot of different things, our lived experiences. So what we're exposed to, that's gonna control a lot of the biases that we have. So what I started doing, and here's a little trick that I, I I always do in my trainings is to help people understand it better. What I do is I replace the word bias with the word belief, right? So our unconscious beliefs. Now people are more open to that conversation because that's really what it is. It's, it's 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 these beliefs that we hold, right? They could be positive or negative, right? I see someone that looks like my son and I love my son to death, right? Like he's my favorite thing in the world. I might feel positively towards that person and I don't know anything about them. Whereas if I see someone that hurt me when I was growing up and they look like someone back there, I might have an automatic negative reaction. That's just human nature. That's normal, right? So it's not a bad thing to have bias. In fact, it's normal. It's a survival mechanism that we have. But the point is, is that we have to make sure that our unconscious beliefs match up with our current beliefs. And when you start doing the work, you start to realize that a lot of them are actually the opposite of what we're doing. So when I talk about my own situation, I was harassed by Italian kids at school. Now, if I'm interviewing for a job and an Italian person walks in, that has nothing to do with what I went through. But I'm going to automatically, just because of my experiences, I might feel an initial negative reaction towards that. Oh, God, not another Italian person, right? I might feel that. That's normal because I was harassed for it for a number of years in my life, right? But now the point is I have to now consciously stop to slow down the thinking, slow down the belief and say, wait a second, Sigil, that this has nothing to do with that person. So let's tr- you know make sure that we consider this candidate that's sitting there in front of me because of their skills, their abilities, what they bring to the company, not the fact that they remind me of something that happened years ago. So it's just a matter of making sure that are my unconscious beliefs, these hidden beliefs that happen in a blink of an eye, do they line up with where I currently, where, what I believe right now? If they do, you're fine. But if they don't, you know, a lot of beliefs, have, a lot of people's beliefs have changed this past year because of the things that we've gone through. So now that their beliefs are changed, they want to make sure their actions line up with their current beliefs. Right? And so the, the strategies that I share in my video are really about just slowing ourselves down to consider, are we acting in, con- in control with what we currently believe? And, and oftentimes, when, especially when we're dealing with people that are different than us, our biases kick in even more, right? I mean, think about it. We've all been there. You're at a party and you see somebody walk through a door. You don't know anything about them, but you start making all kinds of assumptions about that person. Right. They must drive this kind of car or they look like they work at a tech company or, you know, by the way the clothes that they wear, the hair color that they have, their tattoos. We start we make judgments about everybody. It's normal, but it's one thing to make the judgment. And then it's another thing to then act on it. Right. And so we really that's what we're trying to do is make sure that we take into account. And then the other thing that's very important, and I don't even talk about this in the in the talk as much. Um, and if I get a chance to do another TEDx talk, that's going to be the topic is going to be microaggressions, because when you have these unconscious biases, they result in microaggressions. And these, again, a lot of the, a lot of people throwing that word around, but I don't think people really truly understand what that means. Microaggressions, it's unintentional behavior, right? So it's, it's you, because you have these unconscious beliefs or biases, it's going to trigger certain behaviors that happen without you even knowing it. So if I have a bias towards somebody in front of me and I don't even know that bias because a lot, a lot of these unconscious biases are hidden from us until we do the work to realize what they are. But let's say I have, you know, um, when I took the implicit association test, right? Which is one way you can learn about your own biases. I was doing a version of it. And I learned that I have an unconscious bias against boys or men wearing pink, right? So somewhere along the way, probably my mom, let's be honest, told me that boys shouldn't wear pink, right? Or society has made that, you know, thing where pink is for girls, right? We see dolls with girls. You don't see doll, male dolls with pink on, right? So there's a lot of reasons why that unconscious bias is there. So I learned that, but I never knew that before I took that test. Now that I know that, I can be more conscious about it. So if, if I'm interviewing and one person walks in and it has a pink tie, I can gently remind myself, hey Sage, by the way, check that bias at the door. And again, back to making the decision that's in line with what I currently believe. So there are strategies and it's, it's simple strategies. Now, I'm not saying it's easy It's not about getting rid of our bias. That's not what this whole thing is about. It's about understanding it. It's a part of who we are. And then coming up with ways to help you minimize the harmful effects of that bias.
1: Let let me ask this. Um, So first of all, that's good to know. The bias is not a four-letter word or bias is a four-letter word, but it isn't that kind of a four-letter word, right? So having bias in and of itself is not only natural it's just not bad and but it should be used as a learning opportunity or a platform from which once you know what your biases are or once you accept that you have them whether they're conscious or unconscious then the next step is to begin the work of changing your beliefs and I asked that because, because if I if I understood you, you're saying, you know, so you could replace the word bias with belief, right? But it means, but you said that you want your your actions, your 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 beliefs or your biases to match your your past biases to match your current biases or your current beliefs. So if you believe something that's negative, right? Mm-hmm. If you believe that, you know, certain kinds of people, can, you know, don't drive well, or certain kinds of people are lazy, or certain kinds of people are, um, you know, aggressive, or you know, whatever, whatever those beliefs are. If you believe those things, the work then becomes changing what you believe. I would assume, which means what becoming exposed to it consciously studying that group or doing research on statistics? What, is, what does that involve? Yeah, great question. And, and, and
2: it's 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 not necessarily about changing your belief. It's about changing your actions, right? Okay. So you might have these beliefs. I mean, they may, you know, it, it, it's what you start doing is you start changing your actions. And in that process, then your unconscious biases will won't come up as much, right? And slowly over time, it's like when you're breaking a bad bad habit, right? Uh-huh. You got to do the work, you got to take the actions. And over time, those urges or those situations start to get less and less and less. They may never actually go away. Those urges may never never go away. These biases may not go away. And it's not okay. about getting rid of them, it's just about, like you said, understanding them. And then making sure that the action that you're currently taking is lining up with either those unconscious beliefs or biases, or you do the work to minimize the effects of that. So for example, we know that there is a gender bias with when you look at like the top fortune 500 companies and you look at their CEOs, right? Less than 5% are women. So we know there's a huge gender bias with women getting these positions, right? And the research supports that. And so that what we wanna do then is we need to intentionally take actions to minimize that bias. So now you're gonna look at it from an organizational standpoint and take a look at all of your different systems that are related to hiring, related to promoting, related to developing your women talent, right so you're going to look at each of those systems and, and figure out how can we minimize the bias that we know exists in these systems so that we do advance more women into these uh, up into those roles so that's from an organizational standpoint but then the work needs to also happen from an individual standpoint as well where each one of us also has to work on our own biases because the fact that the research supports that means that We're all harboring some of these biases ourselves, and we are either being complicit in allowing those biases to then continue to perpetuate the systemic issues that are going on, or we need to be more intentional about addressing those issues. So you want to take action, right? So policies, procedures, you know, educating everybody, training everybody about how to recognize what their own biases are, understanding what strategies you can take to minimize that from happening. I mean, it is a work, it's an, it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing, right? So, you know, I've been reading a lot on LinkedIn lately about people saying, oh, well, unconscious bias training doesn't work. And I'm like, Of course, if you just bring somebody in one time, it's not going to solve everything. Who the heck? I mean, which person said that? You know, nobody's saying that. That has to be one component to the entire holistic plan to address it. And that just also means individually. And I always, you know, my talk was specifically made it so that it addressed everybody as individuals because I feel like we all need to start with ourselves and start doing the work to understand what our own unconscious biases or beliefs are and then figuring out our own strategies because we're all different. We've all had different lived experiences.
1: Well, let me ask this, just based on the example that you gave and I'm just gonna play devil's advocate here for a moment. You know, you've got X number of 500 Fortune, you know, Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 100 companies or whatever, and 98% or 95% are men. Is it possible that more women didn't qualify? I mean, you, and I'm assuming that there are some actual, uh, um, quantitative or qualitative research behind that right but if you take a stat you know in isolation and it's like well you know you've got x number of people and you know 95 of them are men and only five are women well maybe only five women qualified right and i understand part of what you're saying is and it's possible that only five women qualify but that's because the work wasn't done you know from right. preschool in up a to, 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 in a pipeline to get them ready right.
2: you, you gotta know you got to
1: look at all of that you got to okay. look at all of
2: that you and know? then the that,
1: second yeah. but the second part of that is how does one how do we expect people to do their part right and everybody factors into this but how we get how do we get them to do their part when doing so they perceive doing so to be not in their personal interest. So, right? let's so if hold- I'm a man, if I'm a man, right, then it's like, well, if by promoting women or putting a woman above me, now we've got a reverse discrimination kind of a thing, or I'm xing myself out to advance this woman. So let's hold the
0: answer to that question. We're going to take a brief moment for a word from our sponsor. We're back. And so Greer just asked the question. <laughs> And uh is going to answer that question about how we uh, keep reverse discrimination or reverse bias from stepping in. Um, and then I've got a couple of questions for you as well, Sejal.
2: Yeah. And, and you know, look, it's, it's, there's always going to be resistance when you're trying to make positive change, right? But this is why it's so important. To, to really get everybody focused in on, that we are striving to create cultures of dignity and respect for everybody, right? So that everybody has fair access to certain opportunities, certain positions, certain roles within the company so if we just focus in on the example that we're talking about sure there are going to be some people that are going to say well that doesn't benefit me to do this work right but again when you look at the culture of an organization it's made up of its people and so we have to keep focused in on what is the goal of the culture of the organization so while one person might not agree to do the work. We want to get the majority of people right on the culture and and so this is why I go back to having that culture of psychological safety because if you've got that one person now that's saying I'm not going to do this work or I'm going to continue to not promote women because I think men are better or whatever their biases then we need to address that supervisor or that person in that position right so because that doesn't align with what the culture of the organization is what the core values of the organization is so that person can go take their bias and their beliefs somewhere else because we are going to create an environment where we provide equal opportunity for men
1: and for women right and so how do we though convince people that having you know women having you know that, you know, having Joe Biden stand there with Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi on either side of him is good for them. How do we get a man to know, you know, a man who thinks that maybe women aren't equal? How do we get him to believe that? Or how do we get, um, you know, a a person, a, 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 a white person to recognize that when black people or people of color or lifted out of poverty or out of, you know, the equal status that that's good for him. How do we show it benefits us all?
2: It, it's not about convincing anybody. Okay. We can't convince anybody, right? It's about getting to a place where everybody understands what is expected from them, right? So you can have, we can have different opinions. We can have different beliefs, but when, when we're, if we're just, I'm focusing on work, cause that's where I focus is when we're at work, this is what we're gonna expect and require of everybody. It's a culture of dignity and respect for everybody. And so we need everybody within our organization to get on board and that may not be the right fit for you. And that's why we see people, right? Look at, I feel like every day on LinkedIn, some chief diversity officer, chief inclusion officer, chief people officer, chief human resource is leaving. Because people are saying, no, we wanna see change. And there are people up here that are preventing us from creating that change. So I'm gonna go somewhere else and create that change. Meanwhile, you just wait for those lawsuits to keep piling on because people know you're not creating the culture that you say, you're just talking about it. But it's not about convincing anybody. It's about educating people on what the culture is or what is expected from them. And so I I, I talk about in, in my workshops, I say, make civility a core value for your organization, right? And civility, the definition of civility can change from person to person, right? So clearly define what civility is for your company and then communicate it to everybody. So everybody understands what is expected of them. If they don't like it, they can leave. But if they wanna continue working there, then we need to now put the accountability systems in place to hold everybody accountable. Every single person accountable from top to bottom and everybody in between. Right? So if you're the CEO and you engage in something that we've said is zero tolerance, guess what? Now we got to do something about it. Right? And if you're, you know, whatever, and you engage in a microaggression, then here's how we want you to deal with it. Right? So it's about then educating people and giving them the skills. Cause as an attorney, that's what I saw is that most time people were good people. They were well-intentioned but they were dealing with these microaggressions or they were dealing with these rude in, you know, behaviors and they didn't know how to react in those situations. And so then they either didn't do anything about it. They said, okay, you know what, it's, gonna, it's just gonna go away on its own. And we all know it never goes away on, on its own. It continues to fester and fester and fester until it turns into a conflict, right? And okay. then I, I also think about, you know going, just going back to your question, obviously you can tell I'm really passionate about this. <laughs> but going back to your question again, it's not about convincing anybody, because it, it really has to be a situation where people are empowered, and then they choose, you know, and, and, I'm, and I say that because I see a lot of people trying to shove things down other people's. It's not working. In fact, it's hindering us from making progress. It's not about, you know, and, and I tell people, look, you know, I understand we are emotional right now. This is not easy work. But I'd rather you step out Take a break. Take care of yourself. Do what it would you know you know. For a lot of us that have gone through it, we've dealt with bias and we've been, you know, dealt with microaggressions our whole life. It's draining. It and is.
1: It is. And, and I appreciate you saying that it isn't about convincing no people. It's no. like I don't have to convince you that the sky is blue, right? The sky <laughs> is blue. It is what it is. And if you don't want to buy, it, you think it's purple or you know a hazy green or whatever then you you have that belief you you right. you do you totally. right but it's like we can't stop moving forward or That's advancing right. the work because yeah. you've got something in your head where you refuse to believe the reality
0: so he, here's a, a thing i want to just add to this conversation about convincing people um, and and talking about cultures in the in the work that you're doing Sejo, is that the data also suggests that diversity improves the bottom line and for those people for whom holding others accountable and one I mean, everyone should be holding everyone accountable that right it's a it's a it's a team sport without uh, being a Karen, a Karen. <laughs> don't hold them accountable
1: that <laughs> no. way no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I'll call
1: the police because somebody, no, you know.
0: According to the, the values of the, the particular culture that you're in. But ultimately, the, the bottom line is improved when you have a diverse workforce. So whether it's women or people of color or a different thought processes, whatever it is, shared values but diversity of thought and, and the, the other part. Um, so I agree. Convincing shouldn't, that shouldn't be the goal, but understanding how this ultimately is for the benefit, what, what is it from Star Trek? It's from the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, right? Um, and so you as the one person for whom this may not work, I, I agree with you. You are welcome and invited actually to find a culture that works better for you. Exactly. Right.
2: And, and we can't change beliefs. We can't convince anybody, but we can change behavior. Yes. And that's what it boils down to. And that's why I take the civility approach in my trainings is we can change behavior. So if somebody is not acting in line with the policies of civility or with the culture of civility, we can discipline that person. We can let that person go. We can try to educate. I mean, I I always say, try to work with that person because a lot of this, I mean, at least from my perspective that came from ignorance self-awareness, you know, and just not being exposed to different perspectives. And so, so, you know, I always talk about, I like to think of it from a restorative perspective. You know, we should try to restore people if we can. Now, if they're blatantly racist or sexist, my, my, my opinion would be get, get, out, get them out of here. Guess what, let's get rid of these toxic people. There's no time, right? Like if it's blatantly racist or sexist, we need to get rid of these individuals. Um, but if it's something that's like a microaggression or an insensitive comment or you know something that we can try to counsel and both parties want that and and, you know it's again we can if there's a willingness to then change behavior then we continue to work with that person because you know again there is a level of education that needs to happen in these and as an attorney that's what i found myself doing is rather than litigating i was educating more and explaining to people. So we do need to do that work and we have not done a good job at it and it hasn't happened enough. You know, I think that companies, especially like the frontline supervisors or the middle managers have not been adequately trained in a lot of companies. And I just speak from my own experience and the cases and everything I've seen in my life, but they have not been properly trained in, in how to handle these complaints or concerns when they're first coming to them, right? It's been this, it's been this mentality of, issue escalation, just, you know, just throw it over to HR, or throw it over to the lawyers and they'll deal with it rather than equipping supervisors to adopt that problem-solving mentality. And how do we resolve this rather than let's pump it up to, you know, the other people to deal with. And so, so I think that organizations have to then empower not just their leaders, but everybody, you know, it's not just training your leaders either. It's everybody so that people know what to do in these situations and so I always tell people look you know because some people think about what does it mean to be an ally right like a lot of people we've been hearing that word a lot lately about you know ally and what that looks like and I think it's much easier to say you're an ally than to actually be an ally right so I think there needs to be more training and workplaces too
1: on that topic. a lot of people well, want to be but they don't yes, know how to be an ally exactly. let me ask I want to I want to ask a question and just sort of change this up a little bit and just sort of look, talk a little bit about some of the, uh, some of the self work, but also the, um, the the idea of, of being positive through this process, and and what what triggered this and what made me think about this is, um, earlier this week after, and I'm not going to get into politics, but after President Biden delivered the. Uh, uh, His speech at the joint session wasn't technically a a State of the Union. But after he did his speech, then um, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina delivered the uh, rebuttal, the the Republican response to that. And he got a lot of flack because, among other things, in his speech, you know, well, he talked about his own personal experiences with what one might call racist behavior right behavior that was targeted to him he believed because he was black he then says well this is not a racist country which i don't think it's a racist country either but that's neither here nor there and again i'm not trying to talk so much about um the politics of it but he obviously got a lot of flack for that because people saw it as incongruent but what i did sense in his comments was his desire, whether you think it was sincere or not is sort of a political issue but his desire to shift the focus to a more positive tone right It's like yeah, I've had these experiences, but you know we can't fight you know this bad thing with more bad things. I choose to move forward in a more positive way. that was sort of how he tried to coach or uh um Couch his his comments. So my, my question, and I think you used a, a process, and I don't know if it's appropriate here, but the hat process, mm-hmm. but that sort of doing some of the work, checking what your biases are and how you respond to them, and whether you let that take you down the bad road that you feel was directed at you, how, how does one go through that? And maybe we can know as we start to wrap up sort of talk about what people can do
2: yeah absolutely no and and that's that's exactly why i created that acronym because i think like what you said earlier is that people want to but they don't know how right and i think we make all these assumptions about what we know what you know what people know how to do and what they don't know how to do instead we need strategies. Each one of us needs strategies. And so what I talk about in my talk is this acronym called HAT, and that stands for hold off, ask why, and take action. So when you find yourself in these situations where you're making assumptions about somebody or judgments about somebody that you don't really know, right? And again, it's normal. We all do it. And so our view of the world is filtered through what we've been through in our own lives, right? And so Whenever you have those strong or immediate reactions, I tell people, you know, stop, hold off, because our the difference between our unconscious bias and our conscious bias is a matter of speed. So what I'm talking about in holding off is let's slow down our thinking, right? So let's hold off before we act on those judgments or those assumptions. And then it's like, let's ask why, right? So we want to understand, am I just having this initial reaction or judgment about that person? Why am I having that reaction? Because we're creatures of habit, right? So we like to do the same thing over and over again. And sometimes we need to look at, is this habit where we want to be? Is this what we want to be doing right now? And so it's about curiosity and thinking about a perspective of asking why to approach people that we meet with genuine curiosity, to really get to understand them for who they are, rather than what these preconceived notions are that you are having because of your own lived experiences, right? And then the T is for take action. And I talk about there, you know, it's like, I feel like it's become this big thing. Like we've got, oh my God, it's so daunting. There's so much we need to do. And so that, because of that, a lot of people don't even start, you know? And they're like, I don't want to deal with this because it's overwhelming and it doesn't have to be. You could just do some simple strategies. Like, you know, I talk about in the talk about, golden rule versus the platinum rule, right? So we've been, most of us were raised and we were taught, you know, treat other people in the way that we wanna be treated. And and now, you know, and I, I suggest that we rather than using the golden rule, let's all start applying the platinum rule, which is really treat people in the way that they wanna be treated, right? And so the only way you can do that is by taking the time to really get to know people rather than just treating them based on your preconceived notions. So there are things that you can do. And those are just three strategies that I think each person could implement no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you've gone through, we can all do that. And so going it back and tying it to what you were talking about, approaching it from a positive standpoint is I think very important, you know, any type of movement that you want, where you want to get people on board to create change, requires willingness, positivity, and hope, right? And so it's about how do we make change? And it, and it could be small things. We gotta meet people where they are. There's some of us that are you know, in this, we're knee deep and we're like, let's go do this, you know? And there's some people that are just getting started on their journey and we have to keep that in mind too.
0: Wow, I I have a whole list of questions that I wanted to. So do I. It's like this this conversation flew by so quickly, and we're gonna have to have you back on because there the one the work that you're doing is so important, and uh, I think that the whole concept of understanding what you believe, being aware, self-aware about who you are and how you are navigating the world is so crucial to the way we lead or don't lead, the way we interact with people and, and not. And I really appreciate um, your um, framework of HAT. And again, that's hold off, ask questions, take action. And I almost agree with you on the platinum rule. Here, here's my, my, um, My trepidation. Some people want to be treated as king. And that's not possible. (laughs) So you you have to be aware of how people want to draw your boundaries (laughs) with respect and that, but maybe not king. So (laughs) Sejal, thank you so much for joining us. Um, It was a pleasure having you. And I I learned a lot in you and I have had conversation. I follow you on LinkedIn. I would say um, if someone wanted to um, reach out to you and have you come in and do some work with them and their um, company, how would they get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, so LinkedIn is the the one platform I'm on right now. I'm very active on there. You can contact me through there or you could just go to my com- uh, company website which is trainextra.com and it's t r a i n x t r a.com.
0: So it's trainextra no e um, dot .com. Cool.
1: We have to have you back like I don't know next week. I mean, this has really been And I I do, like Whitney said, I have a whole list of questions as we've been talking that I'm like, you know, this, it just speaks to the times, the work you do speaks to the times that we're in on so many levels, on an economic level, a political level, a cultural level, a social level. And we cannot as a nation get, you know, as Dr. Martin Luther King would say to the promised land until and unless we have a willingness to do some of the work and as long as there are people that are like well I can't do the work because if I do you know you're not doing the work you know it becomes this you know I, I I can't do more than you're gonna do and you know and at some point we all have to call truce and move forward from where we are and 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 get there together so but I really thank you for coming this has been amazing absolutely thank
0: you And if you want to uh, reach out to Sejal, we will have her contact information and her bio in the show notes. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. Thanks for joining us for Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. If you like our show, please share with your friends, and if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever platform you listen to this podcast. Your questions, comments, and feedback are welcome. You can find out more about us at LifeLemonsLemonDrops.com.